Interest in real estate? How about wealth? Well, they go hand in hand. And here, you'll learn all about it. Welcome to Be The Bank, a podcast where we discuss and debate the topics centered around real estate investing. Your host, Justin Bogard, shares insights into investing in real estate to create real wealth and passive income for you and your family. He'll share stories of real estate investments done right, walk you through the process of owning a real estate note, and most importantly, educate you so you can be the bank. This is Be The Bank, brought to you by American Note Buyers. Now, here's your host, Justin Bogard. Hey, hey, folks, this is Justin Bogart here, season five, episode number 21 of the Be The Bank broadcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a couple of case studies, uh, a couple of foreclosures that are going on. Well, it's actually some of our investors, so just kind of interesting to talk through. And we also want to mention about uh, the recent activities going on in the Middle East area between Israel and Gaza. And we want to have a moment of silence for the people out there and hoping every Everybody can be safe uh, for the ones that are kind of caught up in this by accident. Uh, just a moment of silence for them. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hey, hey, Petaluma Richard. How are you doing, sir? Doing okay. The weather is cooled off quite a bit to where I've had the windows open most of the time in the house. And so it's kind of a nice change. I don't have to run the air conditioner. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Weather out here can't make up its mind. It's humid one day, humid one hour, then cool the next, then a little bit of rain, then sunshine. And kind of like, okay. <laughs> make up your mind. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do I put on a raincoat or not? Come on. No. Yeah. Uh, we, um, the girls and I, well, the gir- not me, but the girls will be on fall break. My daughter's, uh, next week as we're recording this, which is, um, uh, the week of October, October 10th actually is the day that we're recording this. Um, so yeah, the next week is spring, uh, no, spring break, fall break. Mm-hmm. And most of the people around in Indiana actually have their fall break right now. So we got kind of a, a delayed schedule, I guess, compared to most, most folks. Yeah. See, we don't get fall break here. Unless you're in year-round school, that's it, and then then you get the whole month of October off. But, wow. Yeah, but that's but but you don't get the summer off. Ah, uh, yeah. That's year-round school, but m- most schools here, the fall break is unknown. A bunch of the schools have started to elongate uh, Thanksgiving mm-hmm. holiday because you get paid. Schools get reimbursed by the number of heads in the. The classes. Yeah. And so many kids are absent because they're going off on vacations anywhere that they said, well, look, we might as well give everybody the time off. That we're not losing headcount. And we just add the days on at the tail end of the year. Yeah. It's like we go to fall break here for a week and then we are in school for a couple more weeks. Then we have a Thanksgiving break. Our Thanksgiving break is just three days. It's the day before Thanksgiving. It's the Thanksgiving. And then obviously the Friday after Thanksgiving. Right, right. And then we get like two two weeks in a day, I think, in winter over the winter holidays. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. And then you guys ski? Uh, the girls, they like to tube. They'll do the inner tube stuff. They haven't actually done skiing yet. Mm. Uh, here in Indiana, man, we got flatlands. We we have little bunny hills, so we don't see any mountains. So they're not, 
you know, I, I've done a couple times I've, I've skied in a mountain before, which is awesome, but the girls haven't got the experience of that yet. So I have to get you on a snowboard sometime. Yeah, that's what I used to do. I've actually never done skis before. I've only done snowboarding. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Yeah, definitely is. But um, so when I opened up the podcast today, I talked about, you know, the war going on over there in the Middle East. And so with that stuff going on, how it's, you know, obviously very unfortunate that we have to see that and hear about that. And hopefully, you know, nobody close to anyone listening to this podcast or the two of us have anybody, you know, that's that, that's going to, you know, have something bad happen to them because of it. But um, economically, this can make some changes and ruffle kind of the world economy from it. Right, Richard? It can, you know, uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's interesting. It's not that we don't always have a lot of different forces going on out there, but yeah. the world's a really complex place right now with a war in Ukraine, um, uh, restricting uh, oil flow. Um, this quite possibly is going to restrict oil flow uh, also. I mean, I very much see Saudi Arabia uh, pulling back. Uh, the Fed was going to raise in um, rates, but from what I'm hearing now, they're saying, mm, maybe not. Let's see what's going to happen with inflation here, because if oil and other things start to go up, then they may not need to raise the rates. That may just cool things down um, accordingly. All that's on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, the stock markets are used to uh, sort of some sort of turmoil. Yeah. So I don't know to what degree they're going to be uh, affected. And the one thing that might play well for us in the mortgage market is that whenever there's turmoil like this, uh, investors um, fly to safety. And so yes. like the mortgage markets and debt markets um, are very safe. So regardless of what goes on elsewhere, you've still got the American housing market, even though rates are up and things like that, chugging along and rates are falling in some, I'm sorry, prices are falling in some areas, not in others, but there's uh, not doom and gloom in the American housing market, mortgage market, and certainly not in our end of the, the woods. So that would say, actually, I don't know about you, but I've had a couple of people in my portfolio much to my chagrin, mm-hmm. uh, call me and say that they're refinancing. You know, they've got a lot of equity in their property and they're finally able to, even though their credit rating may not be sterling, yeah, they are now able to, since they've got so much equity, the lender is saying, okay, fine. And ABC Bank or whatever will give them a loan and give them a much lower rate. So I'm actually, I've got some... Um, some rollover in my portfolio, which doesn't make me very happy, but uh, <laughs> so maybe we'll see a, a, a slowdown on that. Now you always like that passive income. I do. And, and, you know, a lot of my portfolio, as you know, is partials. Yeah. And so I made those partials thinking that my payday was going to come along in a couple of years. And now my payday is going bye-bye <laughs> and I'm not losing any money. And I made money, you know, uh, doing the deal originally. So I can't complain too loudly, but, Right. you know, I was going to get potentially 10 or 15 years of income off of each one of those loans. Yeah. Um, so you hate to lose that. Right. Uh, just real quick. Want to mention to our listening audience that we do record this podcast on our YouTube channel, the American note buyers YouTube channel. If you want to see the video stream of what we're doing as well. And we welcome you to do that as well. Um, back to what you were saying about kind of the world 
economy. I did read an article recently, and I want to say it was part of something in Yahoo Finance I, I, that I read, and it kind of brought me down a tangent of other things. And what caught my attention was the world like total market share of real estate. Mm-hmm. And so it estimated that uh, property, you know, kind of in general was around, I want to say the number was about 5.2 trillion in mm-hmm. US dollars, if you can mm-hmm. equate the property across the world. And they said they could, they see that growing, the projected rate that it's growing at is I think around 5%. And that would put us at about over $8 trillion as a world, a world real estate market. Hmm. And of that market currently, when they ended the numbers, like in 20, at, at the end of 22, the uh, North America, which is mainly, you know, United States, North America alone was 52% of that. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, as you were saying that, what just came to my mind too is one place where this may wreak a little bit of havoc uh, is that we in the U.S. here uh, are very accustomed to 20 or 30 year fixed loans. You get your mortgage, you put it away and thank you very much. But in most European countries, um, U.K. certainly and in Canada, if you get a home mortgage, um, you're only getting like a five year deal at the most. And so you have to roll your mortgage over every five years. And if you happen to be rolling over right now, um, I mean, quite often they the bank will renew, but it is a complete renewal and underwriting and uh, pegging to a new rate. So if you were at three and a half and now you're going to re-roll over at five and a half, ouch. Right. And I wonder if they do that, they make the, the term five years so that banks don't need like a Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to get Exactly. We, we have the most robust... Uh, secondary market in the world. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, you know that system as well as I do in terms of uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac acting as a secondary market. 70% of the mortgages that are made are sold to Fannie and Freddie. They turn around and securitize them, sell them to Wall Street. Wall Street packages them and puts them into ABC pension fund and you know everywhere else and do all their fun little stuff about tranches and wonderful things like that. Um, that's what makes the world go round in America. Yeah. The big short does a good job of explaining how that works. Now, obviously they put bad loans in there that they shouldn't have put in there, but um, that's, that is how the, how the world works for a security. So that's, that's a good job that you explained that. And that movie was actually good for other reasons as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. So that that was interesting. I was I, I, I was going to be surprised if you knew that information because I never thought about the world uh, real estate market share in general, mm-hmm. and it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense because U.S. properties, you know, they have a lot of value to them. A lot of outside money comes in from other countries, like you know, China, Russia, other places come into the U.S. to to buy the real estate, and so real estate in other countries aren't are not as valuable because their dollar isn't equating the same. So right. that's why they're saying in us dollars, uh, air quotes there, it's currently at about 5.2 trillion and going to grow to like eight. Well, let's, let's call it 8.3 trillion. I think that's what the number was. Right. So by, by 20, 2032, did I say that earlier? 2032 no. is what it's supposed to be. Okay. So, I mean, what's interesting also about that is that 
there's so many different forms of ownership worldwide. Um, for instance, um, in the UK, uh, the Crown owns uh, most of London. Mm-hmm. And so while uh, different uh, own owners, in quotes, have um, ownership of their properties, they're leasing the ground from the crown. So they don't really <laughs> own the dirt. And that's, that's how the, the, uh, the crown makes a lot of its money um, in the uh, merry old England. Uh, and I realize that uh, um, Hawaii is a, a very small part of the world, but uh, the King Kamehameha Foundation owns most of the land in Hawaii. Okay. And there's, there's a lot of uh, just oddball, what we would consider oddball, different situations like that where people can't actually own land. So if you've got a $5 trillion number, that's a pretty big number. It is. Pretty big number. Right. That That's also, you know, land. It's also commercial buildings, residential buildings, and stuff like that. I think that broke it down, and residential was obviously the biggest part of the North America, right? A fifty-two percent market share mm-hmm. uh, versus you know the commercial and land. But that's pretty interesting. Yeah, one thing that I've found very interesting that I really didn't know that much about is a friend of mine. Um, he's an analyst, senior analyst. He's about my age, seventies, um, for a small farming fund. So what this fund, when I say small, I mean like four or five billion. Um, and they just invest in farmland. And uh, they've, it's a long, long-term long play, but they are convinced that they can get 3 to 5% growth in farmland um, over the years and that it will be a, a very good investment. And they've got a lot of investors because it's a very secure investment. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot of return, um, right. but, you know, there, I mean, XYZ pension fund might be okay with 4%. Yeah. I mean, if they want something that's, you know, not, I can't say guaranteed, but they want something pretty, pretty sure with a lot of security and a lot of low risk. That's, that's kind of where you want to land is have yeah. a mix of that. I mean, if you wanted to be in California, especially, um, land's certainly not getting any cheaper here. And I don't know if you've heard about this, uh, tech group that wants to build an entire new city outside of San Francisco. I have not. That is going to go, yeah, the bunch of the tech giants, Sam, San Altman, the guys who started, um, oh, what was it? Not, I can't remember what the other uh, high-tech firms were, but there's there's uh, maybe a dozen billionaires went together on a sleuth basis they bought up thousands and thousands of acres in Solano County, right outside of San Francisco. Hmm. And um, it just hit the press here about a month ago. And what they're saying is, is, hey, guys, you know what? You've got an affordable housing crisis. Uh, you need more cities. We're going to build a city and we're going to do it smart. You know, we're going to plan everything out and it'll all be computer based and yada, yada. So we'll see where they go. But uh, things like that are, are driving. Um, speculating land up uh, considerably out of here. That's awesome. I'll be interesting if it's like a 10 or 20 year plan to get that all done. So it'll be that. It kind of reminds me of, of how the United Emirates build up, um, you know, what is it? Is it Abu Dhabi? Yes. Or Dubai. Mm -hmm. And now they built that place up from taking pictures in the eighties when they first started getting buying all that desert and then turning it into just like they did all that. <laughs> it's like right. amazing. And they're still right. building. So, right. Um, but along the lines of real estate. So 
I have a couple investors that I, I keep a close eye on to help them out with stuff. And they have reached out to me recently because of like some foreclosure stuff and having some questions. And so one guy had reached out to me because the uh, borrower had stopped paying. So I went ahead and went through foreclosure and then kind of, he didn't know what to do after that. So I was trying to help explain what's going on with that. And so he had somebody go out to the property and notice it was pretty much, you know, looked like it wasn't taken care of at all and that nobody lived there and stuff. So he was, you know, kind of concerned on what to do. And he had invested, I think he only has about $40,000 into this uh, non-performing note that he got foreclosed on. And then, you know, with all the costs and expenses, that's kind of what he has mm -hmm. into it. But the the neighborhood values of a, you know, a rehabbed house that's livable are going anywhere from 150 to 180. And so wow. I was telling him like, man, you're, you're in the, as Eddie would say, you're in the catbird seat, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, I was like, man, you're sitting pretty good. I was like, even if you wanted to put 50, 70, 80 K into it, just do rent ready type of stuff. And, you know, cause these houses are old. They're kind of like your and I's houses, you know, with 1800s built in the 1800s and stuff. So they've got some, <laughs> they've got some seasoning to them. Right. Mm -hmm. So you expect to have, you know, uneven floors, some a little bit of rot, um, you know, some, some, uh, wood boring, uh, insects, you know, that are down there in the, in the crawl space in the basement. I was like, man, you're, you're sitting good no matter what. Cause I, I think a wholesaler would pay, you know, probably double what he has into it just to get the property back. So it's all, it's all good things. It's like, sometimes you get these notes and they go non-performing and, uh, because of all the appreciation that's happened the last, really the last three years, three, four years, right? it's, it really makes the opportunity of some of the, the legacy notes in our portfolio. They're, they're not that dangerous, you know? So does he have the, uh, uh ability to work with a contractor to renovate it or what's it going to do? So he actually has a rental close to that city. And this is actually in Indiana. I actually know where the city's at. And he is using the property management company to kind of put eyes on it, secure it, and kind of give him an estimate of like, what what's it going to take to make this property right? And and when I, I told him the, the values in that area, I was like, this is, this is going to be a pretty good deal because people are looking for, again, affordable home ownership. And, right. and this is the going market rate for t these little, um, what we call it, American style um, bungalow. Is it bungalow? Yeah, bungalow. Bungalow. American style bungalow houses or, that are built. Craft, like, craftsmen. Yeah, craftsmen. Like they started in 1800s and they redid them like in the 50s and stuff. Right, right, right. Added on to them and stuff like that. So well, this is exactly what they need. It's it's everything is is not uh, not cookie cutter, but they're all very similar looking. So they yeah. all, I already know the problems with it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I must admit as a Californian, I'm jealous of some of the, cause I've been to see some of my properties in Illinois and around and, and you go to these little towns where the population is I don't know, 20 or $30,000. And, and like you say, it's full of a bunch of little, these old craftsman houses that were built in the you know turn of the century or whatnot. And they're cool little houses. And we would yeah. die out here. I mean, they, they, they go for a million dollars out here. Big ceilings, open yeah. space, big yeah. hallways. Like it's like real wood, not, not laminated wood. You know, the walls yeah. are plaster. Yeah. You know, the ceilings are plaster. You know, hopefully they've been updated with electrical and plumbing. But yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. I, I just about fell over this last week. So about four blocks from my house here. Uh, this lady who had lived in her house, she bought it in 1952. 
um, just passed and her family uh, sold it. And it hadn't been renovated since 1952. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm sure they'd done a little bit in there. But for the open house, they just opened it up. And, and you know, there, there was a little bit of a yellow construction tape around the floor in some places because it was definitely rotted through, like, like you said. And the house is about 2,200 square feet. Nice little house. But they sold it for a million, too. And I'm going... My God, you've got a half a million dollars of of uh, renovation just to make the place livable. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Yeah. Our our other investor that we're helping is going through a situation kind of close to Mobile, Alabama, around that side of the of the country, and a situation where the borrower they. Uh, started off pretty well. I could probably say seven to eight months, and then they had some trouble making payments. They got some government assistance, and they got actually behind by about I think seven or eight months total. Mm-hmm. And the government assistance program caught them up and also paid forward about five months. Uh, so mm-hmm. each after they got caught up, I think it was around ten to twelve thousand dollars with corporate advances and stuff with taxes and insurance. They they paid the next five months, you know, one month at a time. And mm-hmm. so it was kind of nice that the investor got that. And then the borrower just couldn't, couldn't hold, hold a job or couldn't get a job that was sustainable to afford that. Um, Cause I think it was a single mom. They had a couple of kids. So it was just, you know, obviously it was tough to get all the income they need to afford the house. And so, and so they actually walked away from the house and moved into an apartment unbeknownst to the investor and just, just found this out recently. And so the borrower just said, you know, I recognize I can't afford it, but, you know, I was too embarrassed to say anything about it. And then the servicing company offered say, Hey, why don't you just sign a deed in lieu? And that way we don't have to foreclose on it. And they're just like, Oh, I, I don't, you don't, how does that work? You know? And it's just yeah, kind of exactly. cool when you have the conversation and they're just like, Oh, really? So now the investor pretty much gets the property right back with avoiding foreclosure. And then mm-hmm. they just, you know, if they need to do any repairs to it or, or whatever, they can just sell it as is and just kind of kind of move on to the next investment, or they can resell it with seller financing again. So it's just yeah. So uh, one of my properties in Illinois, that's exactly <laughs> what happened to me. Is that the gal was living in the house with her boyfriend? They got into a spat. Boyfriend moved out. She could no longer make the payments. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, basically, she said, "Look, what do I do here?" You know, I said, "Well, why don't I just take it back?" And she said, "Fine." You know, I mean, she was happy that. We didn't have to go through a whole bunch of, yeah. of um, foreclosure proceedings and everything else. Yeah, it's interesting that as long as I've been doing this, whenever the borrowers communicate well, mm-hmm. I have I have high assurance that even if the loan goes sideways, that I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to make money on it pr- pretty well. Mm-hmm. Because the more that they communicate and the more that they're open and transparent about what's going on, the easier it is for them to be like, yeah, here's the property. You know, even if they have equity in it, they're just still they're willing to walk away because they just, you know, not that we're trying to fool them or anything, but like if you just give us back the property, that's great. You know, if the property is worth 110 as is and you have, you know, what's to say $70,000 into it. I mean, that's that's a lot of free money that just came your way. Yeah, and especially if you've been transparent along the way, I've got a borrower who turns out I'm not going to have to foreclose on. Okay, um, and uh, he, I've helped. 
I mean, he went through a nasty divorce. The, uh, the, the wife lived in the house for a while. He moved out, you know, all sorts of travails like this. And um, he's just barely been able to keep up on his payments, but the, he's deferred a whole lot of maintenance. Okay. And so well, we figured out that he's got like almost $100,000 worth of equity in the house. So he's going to sell it and, uh, you know, pay me off, which I'm f- fine with because uh, I'm yeah. getting out whole. He gets to put close to $100,000 in his pocket. That's great. And, yeah. Yeah. And he really, you know, needs that money. And so um, the, the main point is that I've been really transparent and helped him and worked worked with yeah. him over the years. So he has not been trying to be difficult with me at all. Yeah, it goes a long way as the lender just to kind of empathize with their situation or sympathize and just say, hey, look, I, I know you're having struggles. Don't don't feel bad about it. Life happens. Right. And it's, there's, tell me what's going on. Let me see if there's an option that we both can benefit from. And and usually the first thing I say, like, go get some government assistance. Like there's tons of programs out there for people that lose their jobs and stuff like that. And, and it works out great. And, um, or if they just can't afford to stay there, I mean, obviously like just, you know, let's try to get you something else that you can't afford. Right. So the woman you were speaking about earlier who got the government assistance, I mean, even though she's not able to hold on in the long run, she's Mm -hmm. a good example of why the huge foreclosure tsunami that we all thought was going to happen has not happened and and is not going to happen. Yeah. Um, because a lot of those people, I don't know what the actual statistic is, but uh, I'll say I would think well above 50, maybe 70% of those people have been able to maintain and get back on their feet and be just fine. And so the the program worked. Absolutely. All right, Richard, we are running out of time today. Thanks again Again. for hanging out on the podcast and and bringing some feedback. This was a good discussion today on some of the world market conditions and uh, also a little bit of stories on foreclosures. It's always fun to see happy, happy endings when things start going sideways. That's right. That's right. Don't forget to check us out on our YouTube channel, the American Note Buyers YouTube channel. I'm Justin Bogart. This is Richard Thornton. This is season five, episode number 21 of the Be The Bank podcast, and we will see you guys next time. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Be The Bank. We hope you learned something from today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us. Plus, check out our channel on YouTube and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Be The Bank and on Instagram at Be The Bank Podcast. Be The Bank is sponsored by American Note Buyers. Thanks again for listening.